0: Okay, great. Well, that woke you up, didn't it? Um, So, if you're new here, we don't often introduce the preachers like that, just the special ones. Uh, Okay. Who can name that tune? We're not going to preach this more, we're just going to have a music quiz. Is that okay? Who can name that tune? Walk This Way by Aerosmith, only made better by Run DMC. Yeah, the good old days. Walking to school with my taper walkman chewed up. Uh, And the song, walk this way, talk this way. All right, so if you're someone like me and you like to make notes, write that at the top of your page because that is the title of this morning's message. Walk this way, talk this way. Okay, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. And those are the two key areas that I think Paul wants to address for us in this passage. So if you just have a look for that. Uh, so the book of Ephesians <clears throat> in the Bible is, is actually an epistle, uh, which basically it's a snazzy word for a letter. And it's written by the Apostle Paul uh, probably about 30 years or so after Jesus, all right? So about 62 AD most likely. And he writes this letter uh, to a place called Ephesus, which is an ancient city. It's actually on the kind of the west coast of modern-day Turkey. You could even go there today. And uh, so that's the the when and the where but the who is just as important he's writing it to a church he's writing this letter to believers okay and the reason i find that really important is because the contents of this letter and what we look at this morning is not about moral conduct okay and it's not actually about rules and regulations it's not about behavior modification what paul is talking about here is based on a change of a, of the heart and it's about a change of position for those people that declare Christ as Lord and Saviour. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And we've, uh, we've seen through this Ephesian series so far a number of different things that have happened to us, some wonderful news, okay? So we've heard so far, but we've been transferred from darkness to light, as Paul said last week. Uh, so he did that kind of like little striptease, didn't he? The old clothes have gone, doodly there. And the new clothes have been placed on. We have now got a new clothes in him. We've now got the clothes of righteousness. We've been forgiven, redeemed, restored, realigned. Do you know we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ? You better get happy. That salvation is available to everyone by grace through faith and that we've received the unity and peace of Christ, both with God and also with one another, which is what Sans spoke about a few weeks ago as well. So that's just some of the things that we've already uh, read about in up to chapters 1 to 4, and now we tackle chapter 5. And the reason I want to talk about all those things in 1 to 4 is that when we get to chapter 5 and we, we talk about how we should walk and how we should talk, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that it comes from that same place of grace it comes from that same place of freedom and liberation we're not talking about control and limitation i really want you to understand that okay it's like it's like baking a cake i am not overly keen on baking you look surprised but the other week me and beth and my little girl we made a cake and I've since learned that actually when you bake something, baking is one of those things that you really have to closely follow a recipe in order to get the right result at the end. So when it said that we had to bake it for 180 degrees for about 45 minutes, for me and Bethan to put it on 230 degrees for 20 minutes so we can eat cake quicker was never going to give us the best result. All right? And... In order to get the best possible cake, I really needed to be obedient to what the recipe was instructing me to do. And I think with passages like this, I believe what it's doing is giving us a recipe in order for us to produce fruit. It's, it's providing us with a recipe where when you follow it, actually, you end up growing and you produce a tasty cake. All right, that's basically what's happening here. A few weeks ago in the evening meeting, uh, Andrew Bunt was talking about running the race. And how it's just actually a moment, and actually Paul mentioned it the other week as well, it's just one step in front of the other of being obedient to Christ. And when you do that and be obedient to his word, you grow. That's just the matter, that's just what happens, okay? And Paul here is providing us with a recipe for, provide, for, for us to turn into a tasty cake. Turn to the person next to you and just say, I want to be a tasty cake. Good. Good. Turn to the other person and say, I love your icing. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's fine. Okay, so let's have a look at what Paul actually says. We are going to get through the whole scripture, but we're actually, what we're going to do, we're going to take different parts of it to uh, fit within this frame of the way that we walk and the way that we talk. All right, so don't shoot me. We are going to look at the whole thing, but we're just going to break it up to make it easier for us. Okay, so walk this way, walk this way. So Paul basically outlines a few motivations for us in order for us to live Christ-like lives, for us to live lives which reflect that of Jesus, and we're going to take each one in turn. There's three of them, I think. There's probably more, but I'm just going to pick three of them. And just to say that it's quite difficult for me this morning not to uh, kind of repeat some of what was al- you've already heard in the previous weeks. I'm certainly going to sound quite like Paul did last week, but I think, <laughs> that's good, um, But I think where the Apostle Paul repeats a number of different things to make a point, I just think with integrity to look at the text, we need to do the same thing so that we understand that Paul's really making a point here of the things that he's saying. So I'm going to do the same thing. Okay. So the first motivation that he uses is that we are to imitate the Father. Okay. So verse 1, it says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul's first motivation for Christ-like living is that we should be imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, now that's really important, as beloved children. So I've got two kids, Beth is slightly older, and I know I talk about her a lot because I love her loads. But I'll tell you what, she has this wonderful knack of reflecting and looking very much like me and like Louise, all right? Most of it good, plenty of it bad, all right? But she very much takes on the characteristics, the personality, and even the actions and the uh, behaviours that we do at home, all right? Because she's my child. And in the same way, I probably reflect my parents. In fact, I do. The amount of times I say or do something, I think crumbs. I sound just like my mum. All right? And that's not always a bad thing either. But we do, we take on, we reflect the personality and the actions of our parents. And what Paul is saying here is that we have to imitate God as children of God. It's because he's our daddy. All right? So because he's our father, we start to become more and more and do the things more and more like he does. All right? In the same way, being children of God, the natural outworking of that is that we become more and more like him. Alright, that's just the way that it is. So we should actively demonstrate the characteristics of our father, the family, that's us, and also the kingdom that we've been adopted into in action, in thinking, in character, and in personality. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I do want you to know that God is a good, good father. I want you to know that. God is a good good father. That's who he is. And you know, when we step out of line and when we do things wrong, his first reaction isn't go and get the belt. His first reaction actually is often, but Ady, you're my son. That's who you are. That's who you are. Sarah, you're my daughter. And in terms of bringing us back in line and correction, he doesn't say anything about go get the belt. He says, but that's not who you are anymore because you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. So that's what Paul's saying here is the first motivation. And you know what? God has something much better in store for us as well. He has so much, something so much better in store for us as well. Come back to that in a minute. Okay, so first motivation. He goes on to say, we should walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I just find it really interesting how Paul makes this watertight connection between love and sacrifice. Did you see that in there? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The Father's ultimate demonstration of love is seen in Christ giving himself up for you and for me. That's the ultimate demonstration of love. And it says in the Bible, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, we hadn't even got it all right, we didn't deserve it. While we were still sinners, God still died for us. Christ died for us. So that's the first motivation, right? Imitate God because he's daddy and because you're a son or a daughter of daddy, okay? Like father, that expression. Like father, like son. All right, like father, like daughter. All right, that's Paul saying. That's the first motivation. Like daddy, that's like we are. Okay, motivation number two. The wrath of God. Great. Verse five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In this chapter, Paul makes a number of contrasts between light and darkness. And clearly here within these verses, he doesn't hold any punches when he talks about the consequences of living in darkness and being an unbeliever. And so let's just pick out those two significant phrases that he uses here. He says, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. And the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So we're just going to very quickly talk about wrath. Because I think within Christian circles, wrath and words like that are often seen as quite dirty words. They're not the kind of words that we love to run to. We don't have Bible scriptures where it's like, hey, this is the scripture on my fridge. God killed people. It's certainly not the first session that we do on Alpha. You know, let the wrath of God reign. It's just not what we do. And And I've actually talked to people that have kind of got this notion that somehow God's anger and his wrath is irrational or uncontrollable. You you can almost sing songs, you're a good, good father, don't strike me down, don't strike me down. Literally, some people could sing things like that. They just think that somehow I'm not sure, is he going to be in a good mood or a bad mood today? What is the context for this wrath? And I think the reality is for many of us, we've probably had more teaching and have probably got more clarity and idea on God's love and his grace than actually a good standing with what his wrath and his anger and actually his incredible patience Okay, I think that's probably the case for most of us. And I think the main problem when looking at the subject of God's wrath and his anger is that we can so often interpret God's actions and emotions with the same lens that we do our own. All right, let me say it again. One of our biggest problems is that when we look at God's wrath and God's anger, we so often interpret what he does and how he feels with the lens that we do our own feelings and the things that we do. So who here gets angry who here gets irritable? We all do, right? We've all been part of those situations where in anger we've said or done something or see people have said and done things to us that we just think, oh no, that was ugly. And afterwards you go back just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm, just, I'm going through a really stressful time, I'm tired, I shouldn't have said that, I'm really sorry. We think with, God, with God's anger and with God's wrath, the outworking of his anger is not affected by stress, tiredness or hormones. Seriously, God's wrath, God's anger is based on and motivated by His holiness. His holiness. And I mean, to be honest, I've struggled to try and find an illustration or a picture for you because, to be honest with you, God's holiness is so other than from us. So other than from us. You see, we're quick to rate sin, I am, to categorize what is really bad, maybe what is kind of acceptable might even actually occasionally ignore the dirty word or two, but God cannot and God will not put up for it. He will not and he cannot do that. The Bible says that he is the righteous judge of all the earth. And you know what that means? It means that he is right and correct in every prosecution, in every sentencing, and in, you know, in even every death penalty. God is righteous in every way. Bible says that he is the righteous judge of all the earth. So, verse five: For you may be sure this—that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, remember, who is Paul writing this to? Who's Paul writing this letter to? He's writing it to the church. He's writing it to believers. So, with this motivation, is Paul's motivation here for us to fear the wrath of God? Are we as believers to fear the wrath of God? Not sure? No. The answer is no. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are no longer to fear the wrath of God because that wrath has been placed on Christ, on the cross, in full, paid for, done, dealt with. And there is something in the Bible where we have a holy reverence and fear of God, but we, do, we no longer fear his wrath. All right? That's not what Paul is saying here. However, I think that, that there are two really important things Paul is communicating here. And I think the first one is this. Don't forget, never forget the price that was paid to deal with your sin. He says, look, those guys living in darkness, the consequence is the wrath of God. But you are now children of light. Never forget the journey. Never forget the price that has been paid to deal with your sin, so do not do it any longer. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. Don't forget the cost of your sin, past, present, and future, is completely and utterly wholly deserving of God's wrath. And it has been paid completely and thoroughly through his son on the cross. So every insult, that we make every angry outburst, every click on that web page, every night in that woman's bed, every second glance of that guy at work, every single one. Don't forget that the ruling, the sentence, and the consequence of each and every one of those was death and judgment. And don't forget that Christ, for all eternity, has won a victory for you that you will never receive what was coming to you. Wow. God's not unaware. He's not unattached with our lives. You know what? He's very much interested in your life. He knows what you're doing. He knows what I get to up behind closed doors. He knows what's going on in my mind and he knows what comes out of my mouth. And, you know, we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that he doesn't care. Or as though somehow because it was dealt with 2,000 years ago, we don't need to deal with something today. God does care. God knows he is fully aware of the cost of what it took to pay for that sin. The second thing I think is worth highlighting out of well, verse 6 with this word disobedience. This word disobedience. And I think another word you could use for it is unrepentance. Okay? So all of us can be disobedient, but I think there's something else. The Greek word there, apatheia, actually means an uncompliant disposition. So we're not just talking about a one-off thing. It's not you and you make that mistake at home. Crumbs, am I out of the kingdom of God? Paul's not saying that. He's saying that those people, the sons of disobedience, that, that word there, disobedience, he's saying actually it's people that have that uncompliant disposition. You know what, this is the way I'm going and I don't care what you say. It's that unrepentant heart. I'm just going to continue doing what I think pleases me regardless of where the Christ says is what's best for me. So Paul's not saying here that everyone who covets has no inheritance, otherwise we're all going to be in trouble, right? He's not saying that. But I think that it does question. This is what he does do. I think he questions the salvation of those who identify themselves as Christians, but live in rebellious, unrepentant lives, whether it be in public or in private. So if you're continuously living in a way which does not honour God, I think what Paul is doing here is, listen, This is what it's like for the unbeliever. You're acting more like that. The fruit of your life is more like that than what Christ's fruit is. And it's a warning to us. Those who actively pursue a sexually immoral lifestyle, those who fill their mouths with crude joking, foolish talk, or live unfruitful lives, he says it all in there. Paul says that that kind of disobedience is incompatible with the life of a son or a daughter of God, a partaker in the kingdom. It's just not compatible And the third motivation, so the wrath of God. By the way, that sounds very negative. I think we do need to understand that when you mess up and when you do things wrong, you have completely forgiven. You're completely forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, he will forgive you. He will remember that sin no more. You are completely righteous and whole. But that doesn't give us a license to just go out and do whatever we want. Paul says, remember the cost. Remember the cost that he made, the price that he paid in order for you to be his child. Motivation three, we are now children of light. Okay, so he takes his language of light and darkness even further. He says this, end of verse eight, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed in by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's actually, an extra, that's actually a song that they would have sang at, at baptism. So that whole picture, that analogy of going down into the pool and coming up, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. If you're a Christian here today, you have not only received light, but actually, do you know that you are the light of the world? Because you have Christ in you. Do you know that? You're no longer sons of darkness, you are now daughters and sons of, of the lights of righteousness, that's who we are. And when you're light, it's not possible to live in darkness anymore. It's just not possible. The um, the other month, Lou came in from the from the front garden, from the front driveway, and she said, "There's apples growing on the tree outside." And my my immediate response was, "They can't be apples because the neighbour said it's a berry tree." So after a bit of heated discussion, I go out and I find no, they are apples. So, I'm amazed that we have apples growing on our berry tree. Incredible, amazing, I've never heard of it. No, the reality is is that it's an apple tree because it produces apples. It doesn't matter what it's being labelled as or what I think it is or what someone tells me it is, the reality is if the fruit is being produced as apples, it's an apple tree. It can't produce berries in the same way that my raspberry bush can produce me a cucumber. It's not the way it works. All right, so we are now children of light. Amazing. Okay, so those are three motivations, right, in terms of how we walk out lives with Christ. There's three motivations that God uses. Do you know what? You are a child of God, so therefore imitate daddy. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Do you know, do you know that you have been saved from that wrath of God? So the same wrath that we've just been looking at for the unbelief, do you know that that was going to be placed on you? All of that was going to be placed on you, and rightly so. There would not be one person that when God comes back and judges the earth, there's not one person that would say, I'm sorry, I think you've got that wrong. There'll be no one that gets out on a technicality. There'll be no one to call forward evidence or call forward witnesses to fight their case. God is completely righteous, and that wrath was completely right. But it's all been dealt with. So that's the second motivation. Do you not know that the wrath that has been placed on you has been taken away and placed on Jesus at the cross? And the third motivation, now we are children of light. So before we move on, we're just going to very quickly do some business with God. Because I know that just while I've been saying those things, there'll be many of us here that God has highlighted different things in our minds where we think, actually, I'm not quite sure whether that reflects God's best for me. I'm not sure whether the way that I say those things or the way that I do that is actually a reflection of the right fruit that I'm to bear because I'm in Christ. So what we're going to do, I'm actually just going to give an opportunity right now. I was going to wait at the end. I thought, no, we'll just do it now. Do you know what? There's an opportunity for us to deal with it right now. So what we're going to do in a minute, I'm going to invite anyone who feels that they want to stand to stand. And if I was down there, I'd be standing. I think many of us, there will be different things in our lives that we think, actually, I think that's something I need to stand for. We're going to repent together and we're going to thank God for the redemption that he's paid on the cross. Is that okay? Let's do that now. Why don't you stand? If there is anything in your heart that you just think, man, I know that doesn't please God. If there's anything that comes to mind, maybe it's patterns of behaviour, maybe it's habits and you know what, you might even be able to reason with yourself I think the reason I do that is because of the way that it's been done to me I still want you to stand because we want to just deal with that quickly before God So remember what I say God is a good, good father He's a good father and He's got much better things in store for you so just where you are right now, I'm just going to stop talking just for a minute while you just quickly do business with God. You just say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry for that pattern of behavior. I'm so sorry for that time where I said or did that thing. You can just ask God to forgive you right now and he's going to do that right now. Lord, I want to thank you that when we confess our sins before you, you are faithful to forgive us. So Lord, we just openly now, we just say, Lord, we know that you know about the issues already, but we've never maybe even spoken to you about them like this before. I just say, Lord, we're so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I recognize that the consequence of what I've done there has put Christ on the cross. That should have been me. And Lord, I understand the severity of what I've done. And Lord, I thank you that you haven't just wiped it under the carpet, but you have dealt with it. You have put that full wrath and the full consequence of that, and you've put it on your son Jesus on the cross, so that now I will never, ever be reminded about that by you. I'll never be punished for that by you but you say, no, it has been dealt with, and that now we are whole, pure, and righteous. Thank you that we are pure and righteous in you, but every time we come to you, and and we say, God, I'm so sorry for doing that, you don't say, get the belt, but you say, I thank you, I thank you that you recognise that you are my child, and that I have much better in store for you than that. So we just want to thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you. that Even right now, I just feel there's going to be weights lifting off people's shoulders. I feel that there's a number of people here that haven't actually done this, even though they've known about it for years. There's some people here that think, man, I should have stood up like this years ago. And I just feel right now there's going to be a real weight come off your shoulders. That burden. You know, it's all been placed on Jesus. If you think about it, all of your sin was committed years after Jesus died so all your past sin all your present stuff even what you've been thinking during this meeting God's dealt with it praise God amen amen why don't you take your seats okay fantastic so that is walking this way walk this way okay and the second part talking this way okay and this is going to be a bit briefer okay so talking this way so it says in verse 3 But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no foolishness, nor foolish, sorry, filth, filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And later in verse 17, it says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think that must be the longest sentence I've ever read. Okay, when it comes to the way we talk... Paul seems to play equal emphasis here than on the way that we do things. Now, I just want to say that is completely countercultural. It's completely countercultural. In our culture, we place much more emphasis and importance on the way people do things than what they say. People rant, gossip, backchat, abuse, swear, and say all manner of things, and it feels as though sometimes it's even their right to be able to express how they feel. And in fact, if we swear and have the occasional gossip, that seems to be forgivable sin. As long as the kind of general things of what we're doing reflects our Christ-like lives. But God places huge importance on the way that we're talking. Huge importance. And there's huge power in the words that we say. I want you to know that there's huge power, more power than you probably realise in the things that you say, both for good and for bad. It says in Proverbs 18, actually, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And you know, the Bible says a lot, actually, about the way that you talk. It communicates a lot more than just the words you've said. It communicates a lot about what's in your heart. So it says in Luke 6.45, it says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I wonder if you just did an MOT, if you did a bit of a, a review on the way that you, you talk during the week. Maybe those times, you might not even say it out physically, but in your mind, you're there thinking, oh, those words that go around, those rants in your head. Just do a review. What's, what's it like for you? And you know what? When I'm talking about the way you talk, I'm not just talking about what comes out of your mouth. Because I think if the Apostle Paul was here today, he would be talking about your Twitter account, your Facebook profile, your photo messages and your emails. So for some of us, actually you might say to my face some really lovely things, but on your email account, it doesn't please God. Your comments and your posts on Facebook, they don't honour God. Because the words that you say, the words that you're writing down in those moments, they have power. They have the ability to encourage and draw and pull up, or they have the ability to tear down and destroy. In chapter 4, Paul even raises the bar a bit further. So he talks about foolishness, crude joking, and foolish talk. But in chapter 4, he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. I don't know about you, but I fall short of that all the time. In your situations, like tomorrow morning when you're in the office, the words that you say, are they fit for building up and providing grace for people in that time? There's no option to lead a Christian life in every area but in the way you gossip to your girlfriends about other people. And there's no option to have Christ number one in every area except in what you post and comment within your Twitter account. As children of God, we're to imitate him not only in the way we are, but also in the way that we talk. Why? Because we have to know because it's the way that we're wired. It's now the way that we're made. It's the way we're designed. It's our default setting now is actually to build up and encourage because we're children of God. We're children of the light. So when you're in your office tomorrow morning, when you're maybe chatting at the school gate, whatever situation you're in, you're on the factory floor or down the shop, wherever you are, you have the ability to bring life with the words that you speak. In fact, I'd almost go to say that you have the responsibility to bring life in your situation by the things that you say, because no one else in that office will do that. That's your opportunity. You're able to bring some kingdom culture into the earthly culture that is all for cutting down and tearing up. I want you to understand that when you arrive at that school gate tomorrow, the odds of blessing for everyone around goes through the roof because you're there. The odds of blessing for the people in your factory or Ashburnham Place or wherever you find yourself, they go through the roof because you've arrived. You've arrived. So Paul encourages us to make this our way of life, actually. Celebrate and model Thanksgiving. I'm probably one of the whingiest guys in here. I'm totally honest with you. It's so easy to just pick out the negative and moan and forget all the things that we should be thanking God for. Paul says, a model of life. Here's a model of life. Wouldn't it be great if we have a church on a Sunday morning where we really celebrate and thank God for what he's done and don't just think about the things that aren't going our way? Celebrate. Make being thankful part of your daily repertoire. Just think, when those, those words are going to come out of your mouth, just think, I wonder how I can replace those with the words of thankfulness. Sing and make melody in your hearts. Honour and encourage those who you do life with. You know, it's always nice to spend time with people who carry the gift of honour and encouragement. If you find people like that, spend time with them because it will rub off on you. And it's always difficult when you spend time with people that are so, you know, you know misery guts over there who's quick to speak negatively than to speak life. Let me just encourage you. Which one are you? And can I also, just, this just comes into my mind, which one are you all the time? Because for me, I can be in one setting and speak one way. You get me out of that setting in my home situation, my family, and suddenly I can change it and I can speak a different way. God's encouraging us. Paul's encouragement here is that we have wholesome talk that comes out of our mouth all the time. Whether it be with your family whether it be with your wife or your husband, wherever you are in whatever situation you find yourself. Do you know what? I've 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 come to the end, but we've got a few minutes, and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to worship. Actually, what I feel like I want us to do is to get into groups, and we're going to thank God. I think what I want us to do is to exercise what it is to model talk in a kingdom way, which means I'm going to give you an opportunity to go and honour people. I want to give you an opportunity to thank God for things in people's lives. And we're just going to do it for a few minutes, but I just think that is the, going to be the best way of us applying this, is to actually exercise and do it. The reality is, is tomorrow morning when the rubber hits the road, I will have the risk of just falling into the usual things. I'll just moan. I want us to practice this morning just for a few minutes what we're going to try and do tomorrow morning. Is that okay? Is that all right? Good. Walk this way. Talk this way. They're not instructions of this is the way that we have to do it. Do you know what? You get to do it. Others out there can try and live like they're light, but the reality is they're all plum trees. We're apple trees. All right? We're bearing different fruit here, guys. Why don't you stand up? I'm just going to finish by praying, and then me and Paul will try and navigate how I've come up with a crazy idea and how we're actually going to make it work. Okay, Lord, I want to thank you that you are the righteous judge of all the earth. And Lord, I want to thank you that you haven't put that aside in order to treat me better. But Lord, you have paid that full price on Jesus that we may come in as children of the living God. Lord, I want to thank you that even when the world lies to us and say that, you know, Alexandra Park is the best place to play, we know that you have got a Disneyland for us, which is far beyond anything that anything here can offer us. So Lord, we just say, Lord, we know that we're we, we are, even tomorrow, even this week, there may be things that we do. We just think, that's not kingdom behavior. But We say, Lord, we want to push into kingdom behavior and attitudes. We want to say, Lord, we want to be a reflection of you in our workplace. We want to be a reflection of you in our house. Wherever we go, we want to be treading uh, salt and light wherever we go and be an encouragement and a blessing. I pray that we would be people, Lord, that have a reputation of people that give and encourage and bless, not tear down, not gossip. I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that even this week there will be opportunities where we can put into practice kingdom behavior, maybe in situations where we haven't done it before. And I pray for strength to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. He's a good God, isn't he? And I'll I tell you what, when you when you're reading all those Beatitudes out, I was there thinking, oh my goodness, how blessed we are. And i tell you what, if you don't think you're blessed, you can maybe turn to that passage and start reading Beatitudes and, and understanding how blessed we really are. So this is what we're going to do, and Paul will stop me in a minute if he thinks it's wrong. We're just going to get into, p- into groups. And you know, what? if you're a visitor and you don't know anyone, feel free to go on your iPhone, look on Twitter and Hotmail, do whatever you want to do. But for the rest of us, if you're part of this body, if you're part of this family, and if there are people around you that you don't know, get them involved. I want us to do something. I want us to honor each other. And then I want us to together thank God for things in our lives and practice being a thankful and grateful people. Is that Okay. Fantastic. So let's do that. Dan, maybe if you could put a tiny bit of music on in the background, just quietly. Let's be proactive. We're just going to do it for a few minutes, and then Paul's going to finish the meeting. But we're going to actively, proactively, shall I say, get together and try and exercise this, being thankful people. Okay? Good. Let's do that.